The Verging on Greatness, a podcast about films that verge on greatness, but mostly just wallow in mediocrity, with your hosts, Mike Porkfeld and Craig Cerventi. Yes! Hello. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Hi to my. Um, uh, Willkommen. Willkommen. Bienvenue, come on in. (laughs) (laughs) This is Verging on Greatness. This is a podcast where me, Mike, and my friend Craig, hi Craig. Hello, hello. Talk about movies that are, as the name suggests, verging on greatness. They're not quite there, they're nearly there, um, but you walk out and you feel something's off, something was missing, and we uh, look at what was in the movie, what happened, and where they might have gone wrong. What might have made it great. Sometimes we just talk about films that are fucking excellent. For special occasions, such as <laughs> Craig's birthday, which is um, this week, we talk yep. about movies that Craig just wants to watch and talk about. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I indulge Craig. <laughs> Sometimes I just want Mike to watch a movie I really like and uh, give him no excuse to say no. So that's the whole reason I started this podcast was... Really, to make watch uh, Mike watch movies. This, this uh, not quite. This but. is a good. This is a good movie that I'm. I'm pleased. I'm pleased. I watched after all these years. It's, <laughs> it's a gap. It's a gap in my a gap in my experience that was and it's certainly worth how, a watch. How have you managed to make it the thirty odd years since it has been since this film came out and not having seen it? That's yeah. Uh, just just to, to cut the tension here, the movie we're talking about is 1987's RoboCop, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, so how have you managed to make uh, from 1987 when this film came out I, to today? I, I've seen bits of it because I remember seeing Ed 209. I, I'd, I'd certainly seen that before, um, but had n- never sat and watched it end to end. And I don't know how. I guess it's um, probably didn't get shown on TV that much because it does have some ultra violence. It is That's it is particularly pretty, bloody and violent. Pretty tough places. to pretty tough to tone down. There's surprisingly little swearing or um, nudity for a movie of this era, C- caliber and of yeah. and of this type. Um, uh, but but even even so, I, I, I don't think I've ever st- stumbled across it while channel surfing. It's just it doesn't seem to right. occupy that space, and um, yeah, just never never proactively proactively took the initiative and and watched it i guess i to a degree um i I probably knew what the movie was going to be like and um i was right (laughs) that's not to say i didn't enjoy it um so so tell me mike with your nose so high in the air does ice form on the tip of it or (laughs) i mean it's 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 exactly what it says on the tin it's Oh my god, part is it man, what? Everything machine, you need to know about all cop. Yeah, all cop. Uh, <laughs> everything you need to know about this movie is right there in the title and the tagline. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's it's enjoyable. I, I don't know if I feel my life is enriched. And I've I've watched a lot I've watched a lot of these a lot of the movies from this era. Uh, um, I've mentioned on the podcast before, born in nineteen eighty two. So I was only five when this movie came out, to be fair. Um, and, um, I, I guess by the, just, by the, just to, by the just, time I just was, to date myself, I was 10 when this came out. So. And I think by the time, 
there were, there were so many movies of this ilk by the time I was old enough to watch them. Uh, mm. if, if you think kind of 1994, when I'm 12, I'm 12, I'm entering that, entering that audience where my parents will let me watch some of the slightly racier, slightly more violent um, material. Um, and and just never went back. But I think it's it's interesting because it, in '87 this uh, broke the ground for a lot more movies of its ilk. Um, Ter- right. Terminator came before this. That's '84. '84, which is yeah, man, it's way ahead of its time when you look back at it now. Um, but this is this is '87, so this still comes before. This paves the way for so much movies like um, Demolition Man, Universal Soldier, um, Paul, Ver- yep. Paul Verhoeven's uh, Total Recall, all of the, so much of Arnold Schwarzenegger's um, late 80s, uh, early late 80s, 90s Early 90s, material. canon. Yeah. Um, and, and films from canon, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, the sci-fi, the action sci-fi crossover um, genre with the social satire thrown in. Your, your total recall your running man um yeah running man's running man's not pearl verhoeven is it it no. kind of feels like it I, it feels I, like I it can't should actually be. tell it you has, who run it has, feels like it should has be all of his all of his elements it's it's made by running made by running man is really into paul verhoeven uh running man is actually based on a um it's the same year running man is 1987 um but running man is actually based on a stephen king book mm. uh written under a pseudonym um, and the director of Running Man was someone uh, is someone I've never heard of, but it's Paul Michael Glazer, um, mm. and it's written by uh, the the film script was written by Stephen E. De Souza, and Stephen E. De Souza is um, synonymous with the '80s because he basically wrote I think he did Die Hard, so he's responsible for Die Hard, mm. um, but he's also responsible for like um, Commando and Forty Eight Hours. He's like this. He's this 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 guy from the eighties. This this he he basically wrote the eighties. Mm. Is Stephen E. De Souza, um, but yeah, you're right. And it's 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 more that that sci-fi action film from the eighties. Yeah. So like you you get movies like Star Wars and Blade Runner in the early eighties, and um, studios are like, okay, people are into sci-fi stuff, um, and by the late eighties, they're they're gone beyond the artsy or the sci-fi fantasy space opera stuff and they're just into thing go boom with laser um and uh, so cool make that movie thing go boom on mars make mm. that movie um thing go boom in dystopian future make that movie like and, that, um, it's kind of a it's kind of a mishmash of the yeah the, the star wars from the early 80s and also the the army action movies from the early 80s your rambo your, yeah. your commander your rambos your, your commandos you combine yeah. those two together i want i want i want futuristic technology and i want a muscle bound hero and i think it's i think it's also the the special effects component as well i think even by like um i have a i have a friend who was telling me about how special effects is one of the few things in cinema today where you can go if I spend X amount on special effects, um, more or less. I'm gonna I'm gonna bastardize this completely, but the thinking is is that um, I can spend X amount on special effects and guarantee X amount return. So people will turn up for that special effect, mm. and it's um, and we've seen that from like Jaws to Jurassic Park um, to to RoboCop. Like 
the you know that that effect driven spectacular mm. to today with like the avengers movies and the marvel films like those are special effects driven films where where the effects are as much a part of the film as the story is or the character is um and so hollywood definitely looks at special effects driven features as going we can get people to turn out for this um and i think and robocop definitely fills that bill it's a special effects heavy film mm. um with with some of the best examples of the best effects available at the time in 1987 so like from a hollywood perspective from a studio perspective this is a this is a green light movie because they can green light it it's it's got some action in there it's got everything the 80s wants it's got some ultra violence um mm. it's you know it's got a it's got a it's got a, it's got the the wackiest title in history like people are going to turn up for this film um it looks good on paper yeah so that's how this film gets made and yeah i was looking i was reading the wikipedia page before we started recording this and it actually says a lot of people seem to think that the title was a real turn off like the title was a problem yeah. was a problem where looking at it now you think the title is it's absolutely everything one of the, it's absolutely everything it needs to be it's so easy to, it just markets itself he's a yeah. he's a cop it's who is a robot he's a robot <laughs> he's robocop what more do you need and to it, know <laughs> it's snake it's snakes on a plane yeah exactly uh, <laughs> samuel l jackson when they tried to they were going to change that to to you know some flight 58 587 or something and sam jackson said that's not the film i signed on to make i signed <laughs> on to make snakes on a motherfucking plane that's what we're calling this film and um and so yeah that's what they called it snakes on a plane like what else does it need to tell you mm. the title tells you everything yeah it's what's the film about mike don't know but there's snakes on a plane it's, it's three syllables long it's <laughs> fits well it fits <laughs> nice on a poster it's yeah, the title the title just seems perfect the title just sells it all so yeah uh, robocop 1987 yeah i uh, that's the podcast over everyone thanks for tuning in yeah <laughs> what we, let's call it early this is greatness so <laughs> what else roll that in credit music what else do you want to tell us about this movie craig um i like this movie so much that in 2016 when um i visited the american south just before the uh the, the 2016 election uh, i was in dallas where this film was made i visited two of the filming locations for this film the shot i wonder i why, went out of my way wonder, wonder why dallas of all places it was made so set, set da, da, i know the answer to this so of um, so detroit so detroit it's obviously set in detroit and it's obviously meant to invoke that whole this is the birthplace of american steel mm. and the the once thriving heart and center of everything um everything industrial that is america which this film is definitely taking a, a piece of the pie out of but by 1987, Detroit was uh, more the ghetto scenes from this uh, movie than the, the the glass and steel uh, right. of of the, of the future that they were going for. However, Dallas was um, the, the epicenter of like the American oil industry at that time, and um, had just oh. built all these glass and steel buildings. So the whole city looks futuristic, and it's got all of these amazing. Um, these amazingly futuristic buildings with with um uh, neon outlines on them and this this glass and steel uh future construction skyline so yeah they they moved the picture from detroit and they put it in 
Dallas, um, and they shot it all there and called it Detroit. Mm. And so for anyone who lives in America, they're looking at it, um, and or anyone who's got any awareness, they're like, oh, that's Dallas. That's 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 not Detroit. Um, but to everywhere else in the world, like unless you know that's Dallas, yeah, that's you could you could believe that was a future city of Detroit. Mm. So it gives it that futuristic look, but it was it was available to them. So I visited two locations. I visited the uh, Dallas City Hall, which is um, stands in for the OCP building. Yeah. So that's that um, upside down triangle building. So that actually yeah. exists, um, but it's not hundreds of stories tall. It's like eight stories tall. And I visited the uh, the Dallas Municipal Building, which um, doubles as Detroit um, City Hall. And the uh, Dallas Municipal Building has a double uh, spot in history because that's where uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot by Jack Ruby right. in the basement of that building. Right. So, yeah. yeah, there you go. So the, I visited those locations. Yeah. Um, and my wife was just like, why are we... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is important. And she's like, how is this important, Craig? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to tell you. She says, because your we- silly Robocop movie was filmed here. And I was like, maybe. And she says, are we going to be visiting all of the filming locations? And I was like, no. Because <laughs> Do you want to go to this alleyway now? And she's like, no, I do not. Because we need to get to Dollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. <laughs> <laughs> Dollywood was amazing. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so uh, so for those of you who don't know, Robocop is a 1987 movie about uh, Alex Murphy, who is a is an honest, uh, honest and clean uh, Detroit City cop, um, who is um, who is moved around for reasons he doesn't understand to one of the most violent precincts in Dallas. And uh, is more or less shot and killed on his first day on the job. Mm. Uh, and he is reborn through the magic of technology as Robocop. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of the elements, you can you start describing them and you, they could be describing about 50 different films. It's, it's mm. the not-too-distant future. Crime is out of control, um, fueled by gangs selling drugs. Um, society's gone to shit. There are some fat cats... Who are still doing pretty well, um, but so those one percenters are just getting richer, is what you're telling uh, me. Yeah, eighty percent of the populace uh, lives lives miserable, crime-ridden lives. Um, the police force is underfunded, um, and, overworked, and, and overworked, and um, the only thing preventing uh, complete anarchy is um, uh, awful, awful television that just just cheap cheap nasty shit television programming <laughs> that that numb numbs the mind and the soul of the spirit of of all who watch it and everybody watches it does it does the show wow. have a name i didn't i tried to, no tried but to it, it spawned the a catchphrase yeah the, so the, the show doesn't have a name buy that for but a yeah, dollar it, i'll buy that for a dollar is that where that yeah. is that where that comes from was that not a, a phrase yeah. before this movie uh, it might have been it might have been a phrase elsewhere, but that this film certainly popularized it. It was such a throwaway line from such a from a reoccurring show that happens within yeah. the Robocop film, where this guy Dave um, has seemingly a, a bevy of beauties constantly hovering around him, 
um, and uh, his turn to camera catchphrase is "I'd buy that for a dollar." And uh, yeah, it's it's, it's, sh- it's short, old, ugly guy surrounded by tall, busty women. Kind <laughs> yeah, of in, a, in, a, in an eighty stuffing way their that... cleavage into his face, and kind of everybody yep. laughs like it's really funny. And everybody in yep. the show laughs like it's really funny, and then everybody watching the show laughs like it's really funny as well. It's it's so good. I love, <laughs> I love, the, I love the, the awful TV show. And you think of um, uh, shows like, uh, movies like um, Running Man, where the, you do see clips from other shows, like there's a show Climbing for Dollars. And climbing for dollars and, yeah. and, the, the, and then there's doberman's in a pit below and, and there's he's got a, there's this rope there's a rope and he's the criminals climbing up the rope and he every every kind of five meters he gets a bundle of cash but there's <laughs> things firing at him and there's doberman's and then he falls to his death and it's just it's it's just such a good thing it's so good they just they you can see them just going. What's the what's the absolutely most god awful thing that we can we can pretend is going to be real, <laughs> in the not too distant well, future and TV, and they make it, and you look at it, and you go, actually, yeah, I can I can totally see that. With well, this movie, I mean, again, this this movie was really really far ahead of its time because it opens it opens just on the Robocop graphic, um, but then it immediately crashes into news break. Yeah. Um, Give us five minutes and we'll give you the world. And um, for those of you who who are a bit young, they might not realize this. So the two people who feature as the anchors in that, one is, um, I think her name is Lisa Gibbons. Um, I'm just looking at the um, the cast and I'm struggling to see it. So those both of those people were actual news presenters in their own right in the 80s. Oh. The, the, um, the man was a serious um, news presenter f- for, for Los Angeles. So um, he, had a, he had a serious reporting career of being a news anchor. Um, and, but the one on the, the woman, uh, she hosted Entertainment Tonight. And oh, so right. that was very, like, from the get-go, this movie knows exactly what it's doing. It knows exactly the message it's trying to make, and it knows exactly how it's telling it. Mm. Um, so it's it's paired the serious journalist up with an entertainment reporter, and like um, they don't explain it in the film, but if no. you know who they are, you you immediately go, okay, that's what they're trying to say. That that they're really just coming out and saying it. News is entertainment, yep. um, and we and we've finally given up trying to pretend that it's anything but. Um, and, and it does from the get go, it, it sets up this amazing world where, uh, and it's got the, the television commercials as well. It's got these, these silly commercials that play, um, before and after news break, um, you know, um, Newcom and the 6,000 SUX, right. um, it's an American tradition. <laughs> it's bigger. It's better. <laughs> 8.2 miles to the gallon, an American tradition. <laughs> Nukem is a is a game, uh, a family game where you're playing. It's nuclear war essentially. Yeah, but it's, it's all kind of computerized, and the the catch the catchphrase. I can't think. I can't recall any of the catchphrases. It's you might, nuke them you before might, they nuke you. Might you. Have some off the dome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nuke them before they nuke you. You failed to dismantle your VX stockpile. <laughs> That's it, buddy. No more military aid for so, you. So topical for 1987. 
I mean, I guess when this came out, uh, Robert McNamara and uh, Oliver North were going through the Iran-Contra affairs. I, I mean, it's all very topical. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's on point. It's very, it's very it's good. You can so, see it, so on point. it comes out later yeah, on it, in, in uh, Starship Troopers, Paul Verhoeven's yeah. Starship Troopers with the, the, the news broadcasts. and they, the, It should come as no surprise to you, Mike, that uh, Starship Troopers was directed by Paul Verhoeven and was written by um, the same writers. Yeah, absolutely. You can see all Cop. of it. It's, yeah. it's got all of the same. All of, they literally all of the same touch points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but <clears> I, I, yeah, I love that, that uh, exposition news um, where they give you the information that you need to move the story along, but they, they, they take the opportunity to... Um, poke some fun but also also make it a make it a social satire about news about culture it's very 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 well done in in both this and this and in um starship troopers and in, in, and in, a, bu- starship and in a bunch of other movies from this time yeah so i've just found the the credit for for the the news anchors they are it's casey um it's casey wong and and jesse uh sorry it's um Mario Machado and, and uh, Lisa Gibbons, uh, and they, like I said, yeah, they were both they were both known at the time for being news anchors in their own respective fields. And fun fact, um, Mario Machado um, features in another film that we've done on this podcast as a news anchor, and that was Blue Thunder. So, um, so I just thought I'd, I'd pop that in there, self-referential. So it's the second time that Mario Machado has made it into one of our one of our movies into one of our podcasts you mentioned you mentioned blue thunder before we were talking about this what was the other what was the other um callback from from that this has from blue thunder oh so we were were talking about how um this movie definitely places corporate america at places them as the villains that's um, right yeah and so there was a series of films like in the 80s it was quite clear that this movie is um amongst uh, many of other things that it's talking about it's talking about um, how the corporate America are often the villains in these things. And um, it, it's talking specifically about a shady cabal of, of, of big business people in the background calling the shots and using like on the street crims, which which we discover in Robocop um, uh, not too far into it that Jones, the, the, the vice president of OCP, um, Omni Consumer Products, uh, is in cahoots with um, Clarence, the the ultimate badass played by Kurtwood Smith, um, and Jones and Clarence are making each other respectively rich. Mm. So corporate America and and street crime are a hundred percent related, mm. um, at least in this film. And I think I think certainly in in the eighties there was certainly good argument to be made that corporate America was getting rich off the back of cocaine money coming in from South America, um, and so. The, the the commentary there is that like these two things go hand in hand and even even um ocp one of the one of the spiels at the beginning of the film when they're introducing um, ed 209 is um good businesses wherever you find it um we have traditionally made money in fields not considered primary markets mm. um space exploration the military law enforcement mm. and then i guess the unspoken the unspoken um uh other field is crime because they both run the crime and they mm. run law enforcement so they're getting rich at both ends mm. so um yeah it's it, it's definitely making a comment yeah so yeah, yeah and that's um I, I, again a, a common hallmark of this type of movie you have the where it's where it's a revenge 
story and you've got this you've got this uh, a hero kind of shooting their way blasting their way to the top as they get their revenge inevitably literally shooting their way inevitably back. Yeah. They, they wind up they kind of work their way through the the henchmen and then they go a level higher and then they they get the crime boss and as they're tracking the crime boss they discover that the crime boss is tied to the um a high-ranking in the 80s it's it's usually high-ranking businessman and then later on it's like high-ranking politicians but yeah. someone someone in a someone in a clean position inevitably winds up being the one who is um driving the driving the lower level stuff as the and the hero works through and the, the hero's final task as the stakes are raised is to overcome the the corporate power not just the criminal power mm. and so and so in this um even after he has uh vanquished even after murphy has vanquished the um the criminals he then has to go his the final boss <laughs> is um dick jones back at the um back at, back at the ocp um the omni consumer products office um he so he has a um murphy has a uh, as as you see as you're seeing him being put back together you see he's he's uh, asked to repeat his three prime directives and you see flashing up on the screen there's a fourth prime directive that is not seen uh, and the, it's classified yeah, the second or, yeah. the second turning point is you discover that he can't arrest or harm senior ocp an officer yeah senior yeah officers of ocp of which dick jones is the the vice president so yeah he's number two baby yeah so <laughs> so he has to he's, i'm number two around so here he, he marches, <laughs> yes you are Dick. you are number two he, around here. he marches into the office and he can't <laughs> But he, he knows that he can't he can't defeat this boss, but he kind of marches in anyway. In this, well, he doesn't know what going in there. He he, he discovers because because um, when he goes to because he says, "Well, you better arrest me." Then those are serious charges. You'd better arrest no, I'm me. Talking, I mean, hands out second there. time around when he goes back. After, oh right, right, right. The, the yes, final yes. the final climax after after yes, yes, after yes, they've yes, completed yes. the shootout. Quite it's right. Kind of, it's very it's, yeah, he does. yeah. It's kind of western western style. He, he marches back. He's all beat up and he, he yeah. marches back he's, he, he's without his helmet dis- and he's he's all face exposed again yeah. he, he's looking worse for wear he dispatches yeah. dispatches with ed 209 yeah um, he he quickly dispatches it using the rematch using the military technology that was intended for him um <laughs> so good and then he yeah then, then he, he, mar- he marches <laughs> in and reveals that dick jones uh, is the bad guy but he can't arrest him um with his um the, with his data his literal data spike the, the boss um, so yeah. the boss convenient the boss fires him at just the right time and as soon as he's fired then he's able to blow the, dick you're blow fired the <laughs> thank you and then proceeds to shoot him out the top floor of the building <laughs> <laughs> so yeah this um so uh, we'll talk shall we talk a little bit more about uh, some of my favorite scenes from this film why yes yes we should um oh, so where to, where to begin where to begin Man. oh we'll start at the beginning so, so um so alex much. murphy is played by um paul peter weller um peter weller um you haven't seen him in much 
Um, but the most recent thing he's been in um, that people might have seen him in is the second second Star Trek, J.J. Abraham Star Trek film. Uh, he plays the, the villain in that. Um, mm. But Peter Weller is a, is a classically trained actor who went to Juilliard or to some fancy acting school in America. Um, starred in a, a B movie called Buckaroo Banzai, Buckaroo Banzai across the ninth dimension, and then somehow or other made it into this. Um, they and funnily, you should bring up um, Arnold Schwarzenegger earlier, like um, Total Recall and uh, Running Man. Arnold, I think, was one of the early um, considerations for Robocop. Had to have been. Um, it had to have been, but they 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 came to the conclusion that in order to make that costume, that Robocop costume, work. They needed a really thin actor mm. and they needed to build him out. If they started with a really big actor, he just looked really silly really quickly. Yeah. And um, and it made it impossible. So they needed... So Peter Weller fit the bill. Peter Weller is rail thin. Um, and uh, they, they bulked him up using that costume. And so Yeah, I, I've read on the on the Wikipedia notes about the casting. They also, they didn't have... A lot of actors didn't want to do it because his face is obscured for about... From three most of three the quarters of the movie, you only see his chin, so there's, there's not much of there's not much in there as far as acting career prospects go. Yeah, and the um and the character of Robocop at one point actually um, the costume actually looked like Judge Dredd, mm. um, so they um they they had to go back and change that because uh, the original helmet design was very reminiscent mm. of of Judge Dredd's helmet, mm. which is another character that famously doesn't show his face. Yeah. Um, unless you're unless you are um sylvester stallone in the 90s judge dread movie which he immediately shows his face yeah <laughs> so because you're sylvester stallone in the 90s it is an interesting performance like if you made this movie now most of most of robocop's movement would be computerized but he's really walking around in that suit and so he's really he's, he's selling really yeah. selling um that he is a mechanical uh, yeah and apparently creation. most of that is is peter weller yeah. as well so peter weller um the famously this movie was was fraught with um issues mostly coming down to that suit the suit turned up late um and when it when it eventually turned up um it took 18 hours to get peter weller into the suit oh um, shit really and yeah it was it was a real trial they got it down to three um by the end of the film mm. but the the suit was a big big problem um rob botin and um i think rob botin designed the suit um and peter um and paul verhoeven uh, and him clashed repeatedly on on the design and what it should look like and how it should work so but ultimately when when the costume did turn up it was first day of shooting and it took 18 hours to get into the suit it, it took a lot of like adjusting and um, amending and modifying to get it to fit on peter weller and all the stuff that peter weller had worked on who had a who had a classical background who had training in mime um who had mime training and, and like movement training and stuff mm. so he was he was he was very you know he was of that kind of caliber of actor um he wasn't an, a movie star he was an actor i guess a lot of that didn't work so they had to so he they they ended up shutting down production for three days really? so peter so peter weller could figure out how to move in that suit mm. and they he got his i think 
I could I could be wrong and someone's going to scream at me because they know this better than I do but um I think they got his movement coach from Juilliard or from the acting school into Dallas to work with Peter Weller on how to move in the suit mm. and um so Peter Weller really wanted to give that um bird like quality to the movements with the sharp movements mm. and the head turns and stuff and um yeah so the suit is for 1987 like that's all molded and hand sculpted um nowadays the suit for the 2014 version was 3d printed um but then it was all handmade and hand molded um and the suit's great um it the more you watch it and the better the quality of the the video that you've gotten a hold of to watch it the the more holes you can literally see in the suit um you know does it stand up today not as well as it did in 1987 does peter weller sell the movement of the suit a thousand percent so he really sells that character mm. and he really sells that robot and um some of it looks silly sure and some of it doesn't move very well and, and subsequent versions of this movie like robocop 2 and 3 they changed the design of the suit to make it look better and to move better um but yeah this peter weller 100 percent sells that performance mm it's honestly it's probably one of the best robot performances outside of arnold schwarzenegger doing the terminator and i'm not quite sure how much acting was involved in that um but yeah fantastic performance by peter weller in this yeah. um yeah sorry I, I went off on a little tangent there about the suit and the, and the making of the suit yeah um scenes favorite scenes you wanted to do favorite scenes oh my god where to start um basically my favorite scene is um right from the first credit to when the uh when the final credit rolls that would be my favorite scene <laughs> <laughs> no um i love all of it um oh god everything from his death which is a literal crucifixion where he's on the ground getting getting blasted and blasted and blasted um um all the way through to um how they they don't show the suit in true horror film in true monster movie style they don't show the full yeah. suit until quite a way into it and you don't get a good look at it until quite a way into it it's it's practically the beginning of the second act before you get a look at the suit yeah there's a good there's uh, a good 10 minutes or so and they they do create that create that real that sense that he's out he's out in the wild um <clears throat> he's in this precinct um he's that he's going to the firing range he's opera he's operative but people are still kind of getting a look at him so you you, yeah. you you experience his arrival at the precinct as the cops experience it there's no kind of fanfare he's just he's just delivered and he's it's it all happens through corridors and side doors and stuff and part of that is because the it's, it's to create that sense that um he's he's not um strictly there um on the side of the cops he is there for OCP. ocp who are the enemy and so he's not kind of introduced with a fanfare and all the cops get to meet him and shake his hand um i mean in, in essence he's there to replace the cops right that's what ocp is, want yeah um so he's almost introduced as much of a threat as a savior for um the other cops and and there's a sense that if you you know if you die on the job now you you they'll bring you, you back you could be next yeah. um which is interesting um, i'll skip to the end because i think this is an interesting thing about the end where um 
Lewis, the partner, um, gets um, wasted. She gets shot um, and is is is, is, <laughs> is lying, lying there bleeding, is lying bleeding out in a in a kind of pool at this um, steel mill, and. Um, she says, Murphy, I'm a mess. Yeah, and Murphy's Murphy's words to her are they can fix you. They can They fix they everything. Fix everything. Um, yeah. and it's it's left um, unstated whether he means fix you make you human again or fix you turn you into another cyborg killing machine. Cyborg. And then proceeds to push Detroit Steel off himself. Yeah. To, to remove himself from Detroit Steel. So good. How do, how do you interpret that? Do you think, is she coming back as a Robocop? Or is she... No, I, I see that as, yeah, like, Murphy... Murphy, because by that point, Murphy started to develop his own... So ro- he's no longer Robocop, and now he's Alex Murphy again. Or rather, he's the third entity. He's Murphy. So he starts as Alex Murphy. He, um, he becomes Robocop, and by the end of the movie, he becomes the third entity, which is Murphy, mm. in the way I view it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's very much a comment on, um, don't worry, they'll fix you. They fix everything. And it's not quite clear who they are, but it's just they. They fix everything. And uh, maybe th- some things don't need to be fixed. Like people are allowed, should be allowed to die, um, if 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 that is if that is what has become of them. They shouldn't be brought back beyond the grave from without their consent. So I don't know. I look at that. So Murphy's commenting to me. That's Murphy commenting on. I didn't ask for this. Mm. Um, I didn't want this. This happened to me without my consent. Mm. Um, and so don't worry. They'll fix you they fix everything oh right whether you like it so you read it as a whether you like it whether you like it or not don't don't worry because you've got no control either way you've got no control either way yeah they'll fix you that's how i interpret it i mean she obviously she survives because she comes back for the sequels until they unceremoniously kill her in the third one before the before the end of the first act um clearly nancy allen did not want to be a part of these films anymore Mm. um but yeah, so they, they un, unceremoniously kill her. Um, uh, gosh, that entire that entire fight in the um, in the in the steel mill is is phenomenal. That's that's a whole favorite sequence. Mm. That's amazing. Mm. Um, the, um, the, the 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 special effects with by Bob Botine with the, the um, with the Emil, who's the the guy who would end up being an ER for years. Uh, when he goes into the um, the toxic waste, and then he comes oh. out and the skin's dripping <laughs> from him, and then um, Clarence, who's driving one of the six thousand SUXs, uh, comes through and, and smashes into him, and he liquefies oh. across the front of the car. That is like that. I, I watched that in slow motion oh. in in um, in HD just the other day for this podcast, and that works so well. Still, yeah. that is such an amazing effect. A practical effect it's pre-digital like the only way to do that was with like a model and <laughs> some what i can only imagine to be some pretty sticky gross um uh, liquids uh and that him splattering across the car is phenomenal that is such a great effect it's it's uh, what i like about that is that it comes out of nowhere as well everything else every, all of the other effects have been about about technology and and that's there's something so um or, this so all. organic about the way mm. that his the way that his flesh 
is, is me- melted by the toxic waste um yeah that is yeah it's, it plays against everything else that has all been has all been sleek and and they're in a steel mill yeah they are, they are literally in a in a place where machines are they're in they're in the um the birthplace of the machines of this, of, of the of american of the steel. steel yeah and he's yeah, yeah. he's his, his flesh is just melting away and you get that sense yeah. that yeah of how squishy we all are we're all just bags of meat um and when he's hit by the car <laughs> he just you're right he just, just liquefies he, spray, he sprays off the car like a foam wash yeah <laughs> it's so good it's, it's it's very good it's very it's uh, i mean that entire that entire third act is is very effective i mean it starts with um so uh to take it take it back to the beginning uh to the to the first act so rubber cops made he goes out on the street you get those those three little vignettes um there's um there's the the bit in the liquor store with the where they're watching the i'll buy that for a dollar show um where crook turns up and uh starts to rob the place um i i have an interest in comics the comic he grabs off the shelf is an iron man comic which i <laughs> i can't help but feel is intentional um and he uh, and one of the other comics on the shelf is rom space knight which is again a a, a robotic sort of um uh, hero from marvel so again mm. that's i think that's intentional um so they um uh and robocop turns up there uh, and and dispatches the uh the criminal as he's firing his gun um at, at robocop and and puts him into the cooler literally throws him into the cooler mm. um and then uh, there's the the rape victim um you have suffered an emotional crisis i will contact <laughs> a rape counseling center so, so good <laughs> And he literally shoots the guy in the nuts. That that later becomes, that later becomes a an internet meme where there's a video where it's like five minutes long of Robocop shooting people in the dick. <laughs> it's just continually continuous shots of of rapists turning up with this guy in a bad Robocop costume shooting people in the dick. <laughs> it goes on forever. It's so good. Um, I can't remember what it was for. It was um I know what it was. Um, there was those movie projects where people would outsource the um, like outsource the remaking of films, shot for shot remakes of films, and like everyone would get one scene. So you had these pastiches of movies where there's like people reenacting scenes. It's phenomenal. If you haven't seen one, you should. But yeah, someone for that did the the Robocop shooting the guy in the dick um scene but it goes on for five minutes <laughs> of robocop shooting people in the dick it's so good i'll um i'll, I'll if i remember i'll put a link I wanna, i'll I put a link this. in the in the commentary for this but yeah it's so good um and then there's um uh and then there's the bit at city hall yeah. uh with the mayor um which which oh my god does that take on like a surreal element today where the mayor um loses the vote um, and he takes the new mayor hostage and um, he literally says, he says, I want to recount. And no matter how it turns out, I want to win. Um, so watching watching this film in 2021 after the U.S. 2020 election and seeing that and they're parroting that in 1987, just what the fuck? This movie was so far ahead of the time. 30, it was so far ahead of the curve. later. The, the 33 president. years later we are almost literally doing that we're, we're we're short the president bursting into the white house with a gun <laughs> taking um taking joe biden 
hostage saying, I want a recount, no matter how it turns out, I want to win. Um, so, oh my God, this movie. And then Robocop throws the guy out the window um, and he, well, he punches him out the window. And I love that push in on all the news crews and the cameras watching him come down to the ground and filming the whole thing. That is a fantastic <laughs> shot. That is amazing. <laughs> Robocop, what is he? Who is he? <laughs> Robo, Robo, have you got thing, anything to say to the kids at home? Stay out of trouble. <laughs> so good. That's, that's right. He, he kind of presses the flesh. He goes, he goes and visits, visits schools. The school, yeah. And the kids are following him around. So good. So good. Oh my god, this movie. It is amazing. So yeah. Uh, um, and so that, that takes us to the second act where we find out um, that Bob Morton... So Robocop is the product of a guy called Bob Morton. Um, Bob Morton was head of security concepts at OCP and when Dick Jones's Ed 209 uh, fails in spectacular fashion um, and kills a man during a presentation... Uh, at, with the, at, a, at so, a board meeting. At a board meeting. Um, and so it's, it's this fantastic Kenny his, the, the, the character's name is Kenny so they literally killed Kenny um, um, which I'm sure the South Park guys are aware of they killed Kenny you bastards um, so, no one says, uh, no one says that so he, it's a shame sadly no one does say that uh, but he's been blasted to pieces on, on, the, um, on the, the model of uh, Delta City, which is what OCP's ultimate goal is to build this new fantastic city that's going to create millions of jobs and um, on the bones of old Detroit. Sorry, my cat's just come galloping into the room. And um, uh, he blasts Kenny to bits on the table. Gratuitously, a scene that goes on for at least 15 seconds of Kenny being riddled with bullets by Ed 209, by a malfunctioning Ed 209. Um, and then uh, Dick Jones turns to the old man, uh, played by Daniel O'Hearly, um, no, um, Daniel, anyway, um, the old man, and says, um, It's just a glitch. (laughs) And the old man just without missing a beat goes, this is going to cost us millions in interest payments alone. There's a guy in pieces behind them. (laughs) Like they don't give a shit. So, um, and then one of the guys, uh, uh, the, the, the sycophant uh, guy, the, the second in charge to, to, um, to Bob Morton, he's, he's screaming, don't touch him. Don't touch him. (laughs) It's just like, okay. Um, so we, we find out that, um, uh, Bob Morton, uh, has been working with, um, do we find that out then? We, we don't actually find that out until Robocop takes out the drug lab, right? So Robocop, uh, Robocop works out that, um, he's, he's encountered, he's confronted by, um, uh, Lewis in a hallway to say, um, and she asks him, um, how he's doing and Robocop sort of gets a bit confused and then she says to Robocop, um, Murphy, it's you. So, oh, prior to that, Murphy has a dream mm. where he dreams about his murder and um, freaks out all of the, the technicians because he the, he has a dream and he's not designed for that kind of emotional response. And so it's at that point we, we work out that Murphy's subconscious or Murphy's consciousness is still in there somewhere um, in some form. Alex Murphy's in there somewhere. And he um, and it's starting to come back, and so Robocop hasn't got any of his previous memories, or hasn't got any of his that previous um, character, but that's starting to resurface. And so Robocop is um, 
is told by Lewis that his name is Murphy, um, and uh, which uh, Murphy it's you, and um, and then he goes out and um, I think by happenstance um, happens upon Emil, one of his killers, um, at a gas station um, with a great gas station explosion that follows and Robocop um, confronts Emil and then goes and, and uses Emil's face to um, figure out that Emil is part of a, of a larger gang that includes um, Clarence, mm. um, uh, Clarence Boddicker, I think his name is, and, and uses that information then to start solving his own murder mm. um, and starts tracking down the various members of that gang, which leads him to a, a confrontation in a, uh, a drug warehouse with um, all the, the, the guns and cocaine uh, that the 80s could possibly afford in a scale that I suspect they undervalued because I think the real operations are a lot yeah. bigger than that factory is. Yeah, it's um, a medium-sized um, operation, I feel. It's a medium-sized operation um, with a great scene with 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 uh, uh, Kurtwood Smith, who is just chewing scenery throughout this entire <laughs> fucking film. Just, just the greatest one of the greatest villains of the eighties was old Kurtwood yeah, Smith. Really and, good villain um, performance. Really good villain performance. Like really threatening. Ah, uh, oh, just, just perfect, just perfect. Um, and he, um, he confronts um, Kurtwood Smith, who tells him that he works for Bob Jones, and um, he needs Dick to go Jones. and talk with uh, Dick Jones. He needs to go and talk with Dick Jones. Um, <clears throat> he runs the cops and uh he's ocp um and so um he arrests he arrests uh kurtwood smith um and uh he takes uh he takes him in and then goes to arrest um uh, dick jones and then that's when we find out that dick hmm. jones can't it, he can't arrest dick jones which is where you're, you're swinging to the third act and he's got this kind of he's got his lowest ebb after that because he for, for, he, is. He, he kind of he hams the spit up a little bit he's actually physically in pain as he is attempting to release this guy and then um ed 209 comes in and starts blasting him and then he's and then dick's got half the police force there as well so as he finally manages to escape ed 209 by going down some stairs which is, is yeah, beyond that, and, what ed 209 and, can do but as soon as he comes out there's, there's half the police force there waiting to, and they start firing on him He's saved by Lois, and then he's rescued by he's rescued, Lois. He's yeah. rescued by Lois, but at this point, he's in the he's in the beaten up stage. He does, and as as with as um, uh, James Cameron will will borrow from Terminator for Terminator Two. Um, he he's kind of he, you see his progression to become more human uh, is, is demonstrated right. in, in the the progress of his face and in the. The destruction of the metal part of his face where for and terminator that's kind of reversed as there's the human part of the face that is being destroyed and then it's stripped away to be to see the more of the robotic part and so the seemingly the more face he loses the more human he becomes yeah. whereas with robocop it's kind of the reverse where it's the more the more uh, metal you strip back the more human he yeah. becomes um it's also worth noting that at this point we discover that um uh, Dick Jones had Bob Morton killed because Bob Morton made RoboCop and embarrassed Dick Jones. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So Bob Morton, played by the late great Miguel uh, Ferrer, uh, he 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 is murdered by Kurtwood Smith <laughs> in the presence of two models, and <laughs> Kurtwood Smith turns up, or um, Clarence turns up, 
uh, while while Miguel Herrera is having a party with two models, two models as he describes snorting, them. snorting and, uh, cocaine off snorting off the cocaine breasts. off everything within sight, <laughs> um, and um, Clarence turns up and his instruction to the women is bitches leave and. <laughs> And as these women are running away, you get to call me. <laughs> he's, he's clearly come to murder this man. But... Bye, Bob. <laughs> Bye, Bobby. <laughs> See you around. <laughs> so good. <laughs> are you going to call? <laughs> Oh my god, no, no, he's not going to call. No, you're never going to see him again. So yeah, he's murdered by Kurtwood Smith, by Clarence. How far, and, how far um, through does that happen, that, that Bob gets That's Bob That's gets about killed. the midway that's, point. Feels like kind of about halfway, which is interesting, because he's been, like, one of the main characters up until that point. He's been driving the, the B story, that that corporate side of what's been going on, and they just he, they, just, he just gets offed where... You know, yeah. you can see them. So he's on. He's been on Robocops. He's created Robocop. Essentially, he's on his side. He's the he's the father you of can, Robocop. You can see them more or less. winding up working together in a, in a different version of the script, and him working to try and save Robocop. But instead, they get rid of him, and he is an he is an asshole. So that's that's. I don't have any moral problem with that, and I'd rather have <laughs> him working with Lois. Um, rather have Lois, you know, working to um, help as as Robocop's sidekick, but. Um, yeah, it's just an interesting decision to just to just kill this guy that we've been following. We who's, need, who's you need a, to kill who someone. Who's ostensibly on Robocop's side. Yeah, but you need you need to kill. Yeah, you do need that person to die so that then Bob Jones, um, so, so Dick Jones, sorry, you can go. Bob Jones is an is an Australian businessman, so that's probably why I keep saying Bob Jones. Um, Dick Jones um, is uh, you need that you need that murder that can be tied directly to Dick Jones that Dick Jones so then Dick Jones can why, like, that's why you need that yeah yeah because it's it's not it's not that Dick Jones is running um, Clarence Boddicker it's it's that Dick Jones the reason that Robocop is is there to arrest Dick Jones is because um, Dick Jones um, and it, sorry he's there to arrest Dick Jones because um Dick Jones is aiding and abetting a known felon. Um, But then Dick Jones says in that, he pulls the classic villain trope of admitting to a crime. Um, He says, I had Bob Morton killed Mm. um, to erase that mistake. Um, You're the mistake. And Robocop records all of that because, as we discovered later, Robocop's memory is admissible as evidence, which um, we're getting there now with police officers having Mm. to wear body cams all the time. So, like... Where Robocop really isn't that far away. I mean, I, th- I think you're you're maybe ten or fifteen years, maybe maybe twenty years away from having like a, a drone police officer mm. that um, that that is neither feeling nor th- that is that has no feelings, that is incorruptible, that does work around the clock, um, and everything you say or do is um, recorded in its entirety uh, to video. Uh, that is admissible in evidence, and you can and you can set him to not arrest people that you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can, you can li- through hidden directives. Yeah, you can yeah. literally um, exclude people from the law. Yeah, pretty scary, huh? Yeah. I think I think nineteen eighty seven um, filmmakers were making that commentary about nineteen eighty seven and about how 
there are people who are exempt from the law. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking, again, um, the Iran-Contra affair would be happening mm. about this time. Mm. Um, and there were definitely people who looked like they had done something very, very illegal, which was uh, sell drugs to get money to buy guns for uh, for uh, rebels. Um, and it was all pretty clear. There was a pretty clear line of how that happened. No one went to jail for it. So, What do you think about, about the way they... So you've talked to, so the three is three stages of his character. What do you think about the way they balance that him kind of investigating that's that stage of the movie where he is investigating Murphy? Like he goes, he goes to, he, he, he goes to his own house and kind of, yeah, he gets his, he gets his old home address. And so he goes to the home address and he doesn't know why he's there, but he knows that something important happened here or that he recognizes because that's when he discovers murphy um and robocop are the same person because he sees a picture of himself as being one of the murder victims of clarence boddicker and his gang and and that's overplayed with the sound of lewis saying murphy it's you murphy it's you and and then he he is obviously shaken by this to his core because he doesn't have those memories mm. and so he goes to the house to see if he can find anything and while he's walking around the house with that fantastic basil pulpador score playing um he's walking around the house and he's having memories of his former life with his wife and child and finds a photo a polaroid of the three of them dressed for halloween um, and he's having memories and that's all coming back to that's him. right and, there's, and a, there's a shot it kind of merges in and you're in the scene where where he's taking yep. the photos it's, it's a really lovely because it's all it's point a really of view. lovely shot actually it's all point of view and then it, the camera swings around and you see that the photo the, the, the photo which is point the of photo view was being yep. set up because the photo is all three of them it's him and his wife and his kid and you see that the yep. that switches the the shot merges to just the wife and the kid and then the camera swings yep. around and you see that it's the cam the the camera the photo camera taking the photo is on a tripod yep. and he is there behind it and he is moving around following the camera filming the shot yeah and then he appears kind of behind in between the camera and the the, the, Our, and the, the movie and the camera and the photo camera yeah it's it's a yeah. really hard point I'm describing view. it to, to make it sound like a dog's but it's, breakfast it's, but it's think, smooth as yeah. smooth as silk it's really nicely done and then the end result is then it cuts back to the shot of the of the the photo um of the end result of the polaroid and and that's the end shot um and so it should come as no surprise that this film was nominated for an academy award in film editing because it is mm. a masterclass in editing mm. um especially in the 80s when it was all still manually editing film uh, i don't think they were quite at digital editing then or the avid machine was was just coming mm. out at this time um, but yeah it's a masterclass in filmmaking and and in technical filmmaking as well so um and that concludes with that that concludes robocop and tracking down his murderers so he is one by one tracking down his his the people that murdered uh, that shot him um um and and it, that culminates with him um confronting clarence boddicker at the um mm. at the drug factory um where he clarence tells him that he's working for dick jones dick jones runs the cops. felt a lot like that scene we did the crow a few months back and it felt a lot like that scene in the crow where he just storms in to the the meeting of all the cr crime bros crime bosses yeah. and they all just 
start blasting him and you just you get that invincibility from him as he just that revenge fantasy as that as he's invincible to all of their all of their weaponry and and just yeah. just wastes them in, in, yeah. in full 80s color it's so good <laughs> and there's there's cocaine exploding all around him and he's got that that huge gun um and the the auto nine um and he's just walking around and he's he's targeted everybody in the building as he's walked in um so he knows where everybody is and um uh, come quietly or there will be trouble um and (laughs) understatement of the year and then one of clarence's goons just goes oh fuck you and starts shooting and then robocop wastes the place um so it's 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 uh it's violent it's graphic it's fantastic it's 80s action film at its best um and it's doing it with a social conscience and and some and some social satire at the same time so good we've we've just ticked over an hour um we haven't i could talk honestly i could talk for another two hours about this movie and you know what mike i think i'm going to so uh... (laughs) um um what do you want to say about ed 209 we should talk about ed 209 who was was oh my god ed 209 the design of that thing that's that's all Phil Tippett. So Phil Tippett is um, is a master of uh, stop motion animation. Uh, he is the guy who did um, the stop motion animation for Star Wars, um, for Empire Strikes Back, for Return of the Jedi. That's all Phil Tippett. Uh, Phil Tippett was the go to stop motion animation guy for Hollywood in the eighties, um, and then Phil Tippett uh, evolved to become Phil Tippett, the three D animation guy. So um, Steven Spielberg, when he was making, uh, when he was looking at making Jurassic Park um, eight, eight years later, to 1994, 1993, whenever Jurassic Park comes out, um, he turns to Phil Tippett and goes, Phil Tippett, we're going to make Jurassic Park, this phenomenal book from um, uh, Michael Crichton into a movie. We're going to need some dinosaurs. So that means we're going to have to do some stop motion animation. So Phil Tippett swings into, swings into um dinosaur animation which is funny because there's a a, there's a stop motion dinosaur in in robocop Mm. which features in the 6000 sux commercials Mm. bigger is better um and uh so but then he um he recognizes that there's 3d animation has really come a long long way and he plays a big part in um, convincing steven spielberg to go a 3d animation route for the dinosaurs in jurassic park um, rather than a stop motion animation route and um so yeah phil tappet is responsible for the 3d animation revolution in a small way yeah um i don't know if i don't know if he's still making movies today but phil tappet master master stop motion animator um and early pioneer of 3d animation so phil tappet is responsible for the design of the ed 209 and um all of the the little flourishes that ed 209 does like the like later in the film when robocop confronts ed 209 for the rematch and shoots him with the the cobra cobra assault cannon um, and blows him up, and uh, the Ed 209 swaggers into frame, from, from you only see him from the, the legs up, and then he falls over, and you realize that the top half of Ed 209 is missing, mm. um, and he falls forward, and the, and the foot fluttering, that's all mm. Phil Tippett, so Phil Tippett did all of that, the, so he's, he's the amazing. The fall down the stairs is is really cool as well, the way it, is it really kind good. of, it, it feels forwards with its foot, it's testing to sense the stairs yeah and it's you really get that sense like it's and it does move like a like a bird i can see where where how you get from that to to a raptor um yeah it's it's a bipedal um yeah kind of it 
with that with the with the reverse jointed yeah. legs so yeah of, and and that feels forward with its foot to, to see to try yeah, this to, thing, to sense the stairs to see if yeah. it can get down the stairs and it obviously doesn't <laughs> and then it triumphantly triumphantly puts its foot on the stairs and you can almost see this thing smile that it's figured out the <laughs> stairs <laughs> And it's this great moment with Robocop looking up the stairs at Ed 209 because uh, Ed 209 has just been handing Robocop his ass all <laughs> over the top of the tower, just beating the shit out of him. Um, so you, you, you asked me earlier to talk... We said, we joked earlier that everything in this film was my favourite scene from the end, from the beginning credit to the end credit. Like, that's my favourite scene. Um, my I have a favourite shot. My favourite shot of this movie is um, the fight with Robocop and Ed 209 in the tower. And it's just after Robocop has been um, handed his ass by the fucking great big cannons on Ed 209. And there's this close-up of Robocop's face as he turns to camera. And as he's got bullet holes, um, the armor that has so far proven to be indestructible to normal um, conventional gunfire has got a hole in his um, face visor where his, which perfectly outlines his eye and there's a shot of robocop turning to camera the music is blaring that basil pulpador score is going for gold um the brass is really kicked in on that and um you can see robocop's eye and the fear mm. in his eye he recognizes that he is in trouble um and he needs to get away from this thing because he cannot fight it uh, in a stand-up fight um he is outmatched mm. and um it's a fantastic mm. shot it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking um that is so that is my favorite shot in this film and um i've watched this movie so many times and i can watch it out of the corner of my eye and know exactly what's going on but every time that scene plays i'm watching for that shot of murphy turning to camera mm. and seeing his eye through that through his mask so good mm. fucking fantastic um but yeah ed 209 um uh, i mean that was designed with um it was designed to have like a very japanese feel about the robot it's meant to be sleek it's meant to be efficient it's meant to look futuristic versus robocop which is just steel and chrome so it's it's there's it's invocative of um of that japanese influence with the manga uh style robotics of the time it's meant to look like that mm. um <clears throat> the fact that they don't have any eyes on it like it doesn't have any visible um eye or like cameras mm. or anything like that it's just got that meshed top and then the mouth the, the grill which is um looks like a snarl um apparently in design originally the snarl was the other way up so it looked like it was perpetually smiling mm. um so the grill was the other way up so they turned it upside down so it gives it that that snarl um yeah that ed 209 design that's that is everywhere that is permeated into popular culture in a way that robocop in, in equally in a way that robocop has and so that is the there is some that is that is inv indicative of how influential this movie became without even trying that ed 209 design is everywhere and becomes representative of the failed american auto culture where it's like it doesn't matter if it works it, um i had a i had a i had a service program for 10 years which meant millions of dollars in repairs and spare parts who cares if it mm. works um and that that's something that dick jones says i had a guaranteed military sale so it's the first it's the, also the first violence that we see in the movie it's about 10 minutes in where ed 209 kills kenny in the boardroom and you've heard about violence previously but i don't think we've seen any the pol the cops 
talk about it because they talk about going on strike and there's a guy called Frederickson. I'm not sure if he's going to live or die, but I don't think you've actually seen him. I think you... No, you see the news report saying um, Clarence, that's how you're introduced to Clarence Boddicker. You know, Clarence Boddicker is sought in relation to the violent um, assault, uh, which which left a a Metro Detroit police officer in, in hospital. You've also had a chance to contrast the 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 shitty police um uh you know the cop shop the cops the police station with it's 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 run down it's it's all of the wood it's wood panel kind of 1950s style and then that it looks like a it looks like a high school gym locker yeah probably because it was a high school gym locker it's overrun there's people everywhere it's like an ant like an ant farm and then you contrast that with the slick boardroom. Everyone's in nice suits. Um, you get yeah. you you actually you go on a bit of a journey before you reach the boardroom because you're following Bob, who's talking to his talking to a couple of guys about you know the their position in the company. Um, is anyone going to be able to get, it, get go against Jones? Jones is too Jones. Jones is too powerful. You can't go against Jones. Um, and so, and they're in this. They're in this elevator. It's slick. Everything is slick. Everyone's in suits. Everything is clean. And then, and shiny. Two hundred nine walks in, and you think this this thing is perfect. This is obviously um, this is top of the line technology. And Ken, Kenny yep. gets advised to pick up this pick up a gun and point it at Ed two hundred nine, which he does in full confidence. This is going to go fine. And it's played for and laughs. It's played for too. laughs. It's like, yeah. um, because Kenny is given this gun by uh, by Dick Jones and uh, now uh, pointed at uh, now point it and so Kenny points it at um, Dick Jones and then for comedy he says pointed at Ed two hundred nine and and Ed two hundred he points the gun at Ed two hundred nine and Ed two hundred nine springs into life and tells him he has fifteen seconds drop the weapon you have fifteen seconds to comply um, and it, it's all played for laughs and mm. and you know yeah. Uh, Kenny visibly wets himself and um, well, almost visibly mm. wets himself and throws the gun on the floor and then Ed 209 um, doesn't register that he's dropped the gun and um, can tells, continues to tell him that he has like 10 mm. seconds to, to comply and then tells him that the use of lethal force has been authorized. He's trying um, to, he's trying <laughs> to get away. Nobody wants, nobody wants to be anywhere near him. No one wants nobody to be near him. Nobody wants to get caught in the yep. crossfire. And so he gets, and the technician's, the technicians burst into life trying to trying to pulling, shut it to it pulling, down. Out, pulling out cords trying to stop and cables to stop it and you're and you're right and he is then he is then killed very graphically and it's quite it's quite visceral because you've you've seen that contrast everything everything is slick and clean here this is not the this is not the dirty this is not the mean streets this is where this yeah, is where things, this is are, the things go right here things are clean and tidy and yeah. efficient um, but you see that that, that that's a lie. That's not true at all. But nobody is nobody is. Sh- well, the bosses aren't shocked at the loss of life. They are shocked at what the how what, much money this is going to cost them for their yeah for their finances. And if that if that doesn't tell you something about the filmmaker's opinion on corporate America in 1987, I don't know what I don't know what mm. to tell you. Um, they're they're making a very clear message mm. about corporate america in 1987 
Um, although I, I, I teased that we would talk about this for hours to come. Um, so shall we talk about the, the final couple of scenes and then, um, and then we can, we can see if we can close this out before an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. What do you, what do you want to say about the, what do you want to say about the last scenes? So, um, Robocop turns up at, so after, after his confrontation with, um, after his confrontation with Clarence Boddicker and his gang that he dispatches at the steel mill, um, with a great, um, showdown, um, where, uh, uh, Murphy is, is attempted, um, supposedly crushed by falling steel, by falling destroyed steel. After, after we have a fantastic shot of, um, Robocop literally walking on water to get Clarence. Um, so, I mean, there's a Jesus allegory with, with this film as well. Like he mm. is crucified. He rises from the dead. Uh, he performs some miracles and then like he, he stops crime in old Detroit. Um, and then, uh, later in the scene, he is literally seen walking on water to come and to come and arrest Clarence Boddicker. Mm. Um, Clarence has just shot, um, he has just shot Lewis. Um, and, and uh, uh, he, Clarence asks Robocop to to take him and I surrender and Robocop tells him I'm not arresting you this time um, and uh, meanwhile um, Clarence's henchman is is Clarence is playing for time while his henchman played by Ray Wise Leon uh, the character Leon drops a ton of steel on him doesn't kill Robocop however um, and Lewis manages to blow up the 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 blow up the the penultimate bad guy with with a shot from the cobra assault cannon um, lois able to fire that accurately even though she herself has just been shot where three where, times where yeah. just a few minutes previously the goons who are the goons are trying to fire this thing accurately and shoot robocop who is, does not move very fast no he's not a fast and, and are completely unable to hit him they get away a good six or seven shots at him with this yeah in, these enormous but, military grade cannons and they're about <laughs> 20 meters away and they, they couldn't yeah hit him. they couldn't hit him but but lewis is a badass we established that early in the film i don't think we've talked enough about nancy allen and this nancy allen and this is so good um but lewis as a character is is awesome we establish early on that she doesn't take any shit she'll chew bubble gum and kick your ass at the same time um and she literally in one scene is chewing bubble gum and kicking ass um so she is a badass. The, the The goons have at least had practice with this weapon. This is literally her first time firing a weapon that is, is as long as she is tall. She is on the ground and she has just been shot herself several times. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> if that's the most unbelievable thing about a movie where um, a guy is turned into a literal Robocop, then I don't know what to say, Mike. <laughs> But yeah, so um, uh, Robocop um, ends up in a physical confrontation with um, Clarence Boddicker, who is who is attacking him with a piece of steel rod. Um, Robocop um, kills him with a, da- a literal data spike, a, a spike that comes out of his fist that allows him to interface with computers, because um, apparently wireless technology was, was too far-fetched for anybody in this film when it was conceived in 1987. Um, he stabs him with a literal spike in his fist that he uses to interface with computers. Um, you see a, a, a gorgeous blood splurt mm. that squirts out the side of Clarence's neck for a good meter. Um, and then he dies. And then you get, um, I, I think, were we talking about this before the podcast or were we talking about this earlier in this? I forget. Um, but uh, you have that fantastic line from Lewis and Murphy where Lewis says, Murphy, I'm a mess. 
and Lewis says, um, and Murphy replies, Robocop replies, don't worry, they'll fix you. They fix everything. Um, which yeah, is, no, that was on air. We talked about That's that. fantastic. Great line. Um, and then we cut to Robocop turning up, confronting Ed 209 at the OCP tower, but now he's got a big gun um and he he dispatches it to oh nine and he's got a bfg he's got a bfg he dispatches it to oh nine and a couple of shots um and then um he confronts he confronts dick jones in the tower at another boardroom meeting where dick jones has taken the opportunity with robocop being um uh running amok uh to to push the sale of it to oh nine um and robocop confronts dick jones to tell him that um, he is wanted for murder and the old man asks him that those are serious those are serious allegations what's your evidence um and robocop um proceeds to a data portal uh extends his spike which is still covered in the blood of um of uh, clarence boddicker and inserts the data spike in and plays back dick jones saying i had bob morton killed because he made a mistake um and uh, then Bob, uh, then Dick Jones takes the old man hostage um, with the same gun that was given to Kenny earlier in the film, which is still in the boardroom, which like a gun in a boardroom in America, <laughs> I, I'd believe it. Um, and uh, and then uh, this, the old man tells Dick Jones that he's fired and you visibly see the um, fourth um, directive um, that uh, Robocop was uh, which prevented robocop from uh, arresting dick jones the first time that literally disappears from the screen uh, murphy says thank you and then proceeds to shoot uh, dick jones out a very tall window um and not just once but he shoots him no less than four times with three rounds each he he cuts him to shreds mm-hmm. um and uh, alex having done his robocop having done his job is proceeding to leave when the old man says to a nice shooting son what's your name um music swells robocop turns to camera and says murphy and then leaves mm. end of film mm. best ending ever <laughs> it does a little frankly my dear i don't give yeah. a damn does not stand up he does a little he does a little smile as well which is and you talk he does a little smile seeing fear in his eye and that's the first time you see him smile as well so he's yeah you get that sense that he is that this this is his his journey of recapturing his emotional self is complete he is able to feel he is he is feeling an, an emotion he is feeling again yeah yeah, it's, it's it's a fun. I I think this movie is phenomenal, um, and I only made you watch it because I wanted to watch. I wanted an excuse to watch it and talk about it on this podcast. So I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've gone over time. Is there anything else you want to say about this movie? Oh my god, there is so much more. I is there anything else you movie? need um, to say about this movie, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> so the sequels. Uh, uh, the sequ- I think you should talk very very briefly, briefly about the sequels. Uh, so there were there were a series of sequels, TV shows, cartoons, comic books, oh, it's, um, it's remakes. It's so marketable. The the yeah. toy, um, the action figure, the lunchbox. You just you just sell the shit out of this. Which movie. is odd because this movie was originally rated NC seventeen, which is a hard R, um, and it had to be recut several times to get it released in the states. 
um, which would later wind up in multiple different versions of this film. Don't worry, you're not missing scenes. Um, there's just some shots that go on longer. Um, there's some more graphic shots of other things here and there. Um, but ultimately, um, this movie, considering the level of violence in this film, was very quickly marketed to kids. I know I was a kid when this movie came out. There were trading cards. There was action figures. There was a cartoon that came not long after this. So yeah, parents and 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 and, and um, you know violent people who were concerned about violence in movies, which was a big bugbear in the eighties, um, a bit like the Satanic Panic at the late seventies. Mm. Um, all of those groups were very conscious of the fact that this very violent movie, which was violent for a purpose for adults, um, and making a point about violence. Um, was now being marketed to kids who might not have been savvy enough to work out that there was a message in all of that violence and that it was satire. Because um, I certainly didn't recognize it when I was 10 and watching this movie. I just thought it was a really cool film mm. about a guy who becomes a robot mm. and fights crime. I thought that was awesome. Um, and it's not until um, you know adulthood or, or you know several years later when I'm watching it and going, oh, this actually has a message. This is saying something. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, that that... So the sequels and the books and the cartoons and stuff capture that message to some degree in most of those cases. Certainly the sequels do. Certainly the, the sequel to this, Robocop 2, tries to capture that lightning in a bottle again. Um, it's got a, it famously turned up with a script from comic book writer Frank Miller that was described as unfilmable. Um, and having read the comic adaptation of his, of his script, I agree, it is unfilmable. Mm. Um, but uh, they, they stripped out some story elements and, and used that for Robocop 2 and 3. Um, yeah, um, it, I don't know how you follow this film. And the remake um, has, which we might do at a later date, because um, there is that is a film that is verging on greatness or could be wallowing in mediocrity, because there are some interesting elements at play in that film. It's just that I think a little bit of studio interference and maybe the message got a little lost in translation. Mm. Probably worth talking about at a mm. later date. But um, yeah, this this movie is is phenomenal. It's a, it's it's got something to say. It's one of those rare instances where it works on mm. on two separate levels quite quite functionally. One one it is beautiful social satire and commentary on the state of, of American um, politics and, and corporate life in in the late eighties in Reaganomics in Reagan's America, uh, and two it is a phenomenal action mm. film that that works excessively well in that time period too and it's one of those rare films that if you go into it and you want to watch the action film and you come away from it and all you saw was a robot killing people for an hour and 40 minutes mm. great fantastic i'm glad you enjoyed it but go and give it a second look mm. it's got a lot going on it's it's got a message to say and and it says it very very eloquently far more eloquently than i ever could so. it's this movie is great. It's so phenomenally marketable that it's it's they just they had to make a sequel. There was no way they were not. They did, and a it made a bunch of money. And I'm sure it did. It was, I'm sure it was terrible um, because the there's just. I mean, it was the 14th biggest box office grossing film mm. of 1987. I mean, it comes in right behind uh, Crocodile Dundee mm. and right ahead of Outrageous Fortune. Um, it's also worth noting that the number one grossing film of 1987 was Beverly Hills mm. Cop. There's, <laughs> also, the second highest grossing film of 1987 was Platoon. So at least there was messages uh, with social yeah. social commentary messages out there. There's just there's just because of because Murphy is so disfigured, there is just not much more. And and 
he's, he's, he's got a family he's got a wife and kid you never really you only see them in flashback in the first movie there's not much you can do with them um you can't humanize him anymore he, he can't you can't have a relationship um it's not like you can come home and have dinner so it's it's pretty difficult to do something although having said that i'm sure that was what was said of terminator um and yeah they sure found a way um to make a movie with with soul and they found a way to make um a, a an emotional human story out of out of the killing robot which is which is pretty which is pretty incredible maybe maybe the difference here is that um and this is just off the cuff thinking but um i think i think the pro the difference between like robocop and terminator who would go off to have a comic book of their own robocop versus terminator um so there's a universe in which robocop and the terminator exist together uh, written by frank miller because of course um but the difference being was terminator i don't think anyone was screaming for a terminator sequel i think people went that was really good it'd be neat if we could do another one but because of the way it was being run by james cameron because it's a james cameron property um i think i think what came then was james cameron had a story he wanted to tell about the terminator and he had a sequel that he could do and he was like okay I think I've got an idea of how that can work. Mm. And he came at it with a story first. Whereas with Robocop, the way that film was made, I don't think Paul Verhoeven or the writers, uh, Neumeier and Miner, had any kind of control over where that story went. I think Orion held the reins and they were like, that made a boatload of money. I want a boatload of mm. money more. Give me another Robocop film. Mm. And so they got in a new director and new writers and they made, and they made a sequel because money dictated that decision making whereas with terminator 2 james cameron had a story he wanted to tell and that dictated that decision and so um rather than coming at it from a money first perspective they made a good film and the money came as a result mm. rather than just going after the money so uh, maybe that's why that mm. happened and um but yeah james cameron i mean love him or hate him james cameron um is pretty amazing when it comes to um storytelling he is a good story yeah well, I get, and, and maybe so. that maybe that is where that you can get a good story out of that is how does can he can he become a father figure in the same way as the terminator does mm. i don't know whether he can or, has, or, can or is he not sufficiently human enough to do that and maybe that's maybe that's a story that you can wring some tension from but it's um and they certainly did. I mean, that's certainly what that film, like beyond the fact that it's an action film and Arnold Schwarzenegger is kicking ass all the way through it and dropping one liners mm. and, and the, and the T T 1000 played by Robert Patrick is such a, such a good antithesis to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator. Um, like it, it's fan, like they, they really flipped the script mm. on that one. Um, I mean, that is a good story, but, um, and I think that informs, I think some of that Robocop informs so Robocop is informed by, Blade Runner is informed by Terminator. Um, and I think in some small way, Robocop informs Terminator 2. Um, uh, I don't, th I think that's a very tenuous link, but there is that humanity coming back to the, to the machine, um, which you see in Terminator 2 with the humanity coming into the Arnold Schwarzenegger performance. Mm. And so, um, so it is interesting. Mm. And unfortunately for the sequels of Robocop, they, they continue to explore that idea 
but um, they don't do it nearly as well. And the second film, Robocop 2, isn't without its merits. It has some interesting ideas and it does play with some nifty themes, but it does it rather clunkily. And, um, and it does feature one of the best robot v robot fights of all time. So they take that Ed 209 fight and they turn that into the climax in Robocop 2. And it goes on for a good 10 mm. minutes and it's all Phil Tappet at his absolute peak. Um, is it still, is they it turn still it stop into motion? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's still stop motion. It's probably the best stop motion ever got because it was 1991. It's just before CG comes along. Um, so, um, yeah, it's the last. It's really the last of its mm. kind. But, um, yeah, it's still Phil Tippett. And they just let him go nuts. Phil, here's a bag mm. of money. Go for gold. So, And he does a, he does a, an update on the Ed 209 design with, the, with Robocop right. 2. So, yeah. All right, we've it's, we've it's we've gone nearly an hour and a half, which I think is going to be our longest ever episode. I don't think we've ever yarn, yarned <laughs> on this long about any of these other other films. Um, thank oh, you. I could talk about. I could continue talking about this All movie, right. um, but I'm not going to. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I might make us do this again. No, we might we have we might have a sequel to the to the sequel <laughs> podcast, <laughs> or maybe I'll do a supplementary podcast when Mike's not looking. Where I just rail about things i love in robocop because i honestly i could talk about it all day but um yeah fine i'm, I'm sure everyone's sick to death of us by now so all right uh thank you for listening everyone i th- I, I think yeah, i can agree verging on greatness uh it's greatness absolutely um it's it's it is it is a phenomenal fantastic. film and um and i don't care what your opinions on it are if you haven't seen it i recommend you watch it um and uh i hope i hope you get the same experience from mm. it that i do I love this movie. It is unashamedly my favorite film. Um, and um, I'm, I used to be ashamed to tell that to people, but now I'm not. This is a fantastic mm. movie. Um, and it is cinema at its best. So take that. All right. Peter Weller, you're a god. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you for indulging me on this podcast experience. Anytime. Your time, my friend. Um, we're going we're to right. wrap up. If you've got an idea for a movie for us to do that you think is version and of if, greatness, um, hit us up on the socials. And if, and if you want us to do Robocop 2, just hit us in the in the comment section. Honestly, I'll need no encouragement to do it. <laughs> All right. But Mike might. I'm, so, I might, yeah. I might. All right. Very good. I might. I could be. I okay. could, I'll, I'll, I'll need a bit of a, I'd need a bit of drawing out to do that, I think. Very good. Okay. Cheers, Greg. Well, all right. See you next time, everyone. Bye.